Here's an experiment for you. Take passionate experts in human resource technology. Invite cross-industry experts from inside and outside HR. Mix in what's happening in people analytics today. Give them the technology to connect. Hit record. Pour their discussions into a beaker. Mix thoroughly. And voila, you get the HR Data Labs podcast, where we explore the impact of data and analytics to your business. We may get passionate and even irreverent, but count on each episode challenging and enhancing your understanding of the way people data can be used to solve real-world problems. Now, here's your host, David Turetsky. Hello and welcome to the HR Data Labs podcast. I'm your host, David Turetsky. Like always, we have with us our friend and co-host, Dwight Brown. Hey, Dwight, how are you? Good, David. How are you doing? Very good, thank you. We try and endeavor to find people inside and outside the world of HR to bring you insights as to why things are the way they are in the worlds of HR data, analytics, and technology. Today, we're talking to my friend. I was going to say my old friend, but you're not old, Nadia. My friend for many, many years, Nadia Clifford. She's the Senior Director of Engineering Program Management at Outfront Media. Hey, Nadia, how are you? Hi, David. Good. How are you? Very good. Welcome. So today we're going to have a really fun time talking to Nadia. We don't talk really about how technology gets put together on the HR Data Labs podcast, but we we should. And that's why we brought Nadia in here to kind of give us a little bit of what happens behind the scenes. But Nadia, one of the things I wanted to find out from you is your background. How did you get to here? So I actually started my career in technology a long time ago. I maybe look younger than I am. <laughs> so over 25 years ago, I started working with my mother as her first employee in a new business venture, and we had to computerize our business processes. So mm-hmm. I created the first application to digitize our process that was basically paper fax, swivel chair operation. Wow. And that application that I ultimately created allowed us to scale from the two of us to 70 people. And that was wow. just in three years. So it was a pretty successful story for that startup. And that became the theme of my career. I became so fascinated with technology and how it how it influences business and business outcomes. And over the course of my career, I've been getting involved in more and more complex business scenarios and using technology to drive outcomes. And I ended up working in multiple industries, multiple roles, just because I like new challenge. And HR technology was one of them a few years back when we worked together. Yeah. Yep. That was so much fun. And I think back then you were doing project management, development project management, right? I was, yeah, I was more a business analyst, senior business analyst, and then I moved into a scrum master role. And that was the beginning of my career in Agile. Yeah. And I think we were all learning how to live Agile for, and this was, I think, in the 2007, 2008 timeframe, maybe a little bit earlier. But we were all trying to figure out how Agile can come into a world when we were used to Waterfall. And we were used to developing all the specifications and then diving into the development. Whereas in the Agile case, as you go along, you learn more about the problem and you try and fix the problem, right? Yeah, and you let it unfold versus trying to define everything up front. 
And that's basically has been the theme for me ever since. I come into an environment that it's kind of waterfallish and old-fashioned, and I turn it into a more agile organization. We should definitely talk then. <laughs> we, we know of some companies that, that need that assistance. There are a few out there. There are. There are many. But one fun thing you may not know about Nadia is you love the whatever it is for dummies book series. Why would you need that? Because you're definitely not a dummy. Well, (laughs) a few times in my career, I've taken a job where I felt a bit like a novice. Right. (laughs) Not sure I want to call myself a dummy, but yeah. And I had to, to pick up a book before I came in on my first day to actually read up about the area. (laughs) <laughs> that I was well, work on. if you've ever met Nadia, she really sold it quite well because she did not have any, she didn't miss a beat. She knew exactly what she was doing the moment she got there. And so you did a good job. And, and I'd love to see some of those dummy books because I might want to read one or two. <laughs> Believe it or not, I did read a project management for dummies before I started one of my jobs a while back. Really? <laughs> as I as I said, secret. you sold it quite well. So there you go. <laughs> Those are great books. So today we're going to talk about one of the things that's very near and dear to my heart. And I think it is to a lot of yours as well, which is what are the biggest issues and pitfalls that we run into when you're managing a really complex technology initiative? And one of those examples of that is product management in the HR technology world. And Nadia, you're definitely an expert in that. And as you know, I've, I've been in product management and HR technology. And boy, we try and make the complex really simple, but sometimes we even make it more complex. So that's, that's one of our... Well, that's the goal today, to try and uncomplicate it and, and make it kind of easy for everybody. So the first question, Nadia, is in all your years of being a leader in technology, a consultant, a coach, and, and a project leader, and a business analyst, what holds most organizations back when it comes to trying to demystify the world of product management in HR tech? Well, definitely the most typical problem that I see in everywhere, it's lack of vision or vision that's not defined well enough and not a very crisp vision when you're trying to build a product be it hr technology product or another software product you really need to know where you're going and what problem you're trying to solve and oftentimes either we don't even define where we're going and we're just very reactive and just jumping on the problem of the day and not very strategic or our vision is so broad, something like be the best in the market. Right. It's very hard to use that type of vision to make day-to-day decisions and to figure out are we moving in the right direction or not. So getting crisp on the vision is very important. So defining your destination. So for example, if you set out on a road trip right. going from Boston to L.A., you want to say you're going to LA. You don't want to say I'm going to West Coast because right. you might end up in Oregon when you wanted to go to LA. <laughs> right. Or a different continent even. Yeah. <laughs> like define which West Coast, West Coast or which continent. Yeah, exactly. right? Let's start right. there. 
also very important to define the actual problem we're trying to solve. So just like I said, saying our vision is to be the best in the market is not crisp enough. It's too nebulous. But defining what is the problem and who is having the problem that we're trying to solve and why do we even want to solve it? Does it even really need to be solved? So that's kind of very important to have a successful product. I think that last problem that you just brought up is one of the things that we typically lack in a product management, which is defining the value and really clearly specifying the value of that particular story or theme or epic in the context of the product itself and the development and the stage of development you want to get to. Because, you know, and I know you're probably going to get to this, but everything's important. But trying to have, as you say, that vision for the product and when does everything need to get completed? I know that a lot of people get really upset when you use the word MVP, you know, minimum viable product. And Agile is supposed to solve for minimum viable product for every release. But, but one of the things that we tend to gloss over is that not everything's the highest priority. And having that value and having that business value, whether it's revenue, whether it's client losses, whether it's whatever, needs to be clearly stated, right? And, and who makes that judgment and who makes that determination as to what's the most important? Exactly. And once you have a vision of your product or your initiative or even your feature and you know what you're trying to do for whom and why, it's very easy to prioritize then you can always ladder it up to what's our ultimate goal. So then you can decide, is this really contributing to our ultimate goal or is it not? So vision really helps with prioritization. I've seen that over and over too with with these sorts of projects where it's easy to get caught in that funnel of, you know, having having a lackadaisical vision and yet trying to do everything with that product and do everything at the same time. And it, you know, it, it makes for a lot of crazy making in the, the development process because everybody's doing a lot of work, but it's not necessarily cohesive work. And you're, you're not ending up with a, a product that's solving the value equation that you've set out if you have never set out, set out that value equation. That's absolutely true. And the lack of that prioritization is often leading to just not even delivering the value, just as you said, because people are stretched too thin, resources are stretched too thin, everybody's doing too much. And what I see time and time again, that a lot of times we start, keep starting all these important things, but we never finish. Yep. So we don't really deliver anything cohesive. So that's quite a common pitfall. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking subscribe. This podcast is made possible by Salary.com. Now, back to the show. So now that you have a vision or you have a cohesive vision, or let's say you gather to get a cohesive vision, what becomes the next big obstacle to actually creating this technology and to actually getting it done the right way and on time? Yeah, the next big obstacle that I typically see in organizations is that lack of prioritization or rather everything is the number one priority and people have a hard time saying no let's focus just on this one thing this is the most important thing so we end up stretching our people way too thin everybody's doing too much pushing too hard and a lot of times i see that 
we will start multiple initiatives at the same time, but we don't have enough focus to finish and declare victory and deliver it to market and maybe get some feedback and iterate. So this stretching just leads to poor work-life balance, even poor quality because everybody's burnt out. Uh, And oftentimes people don't realize, and that's what I coach a lot about, is that prioritization is not just saying yes and focusing on one thing, although a lot of it is, but it's also saying no to everything else. And it takes yeah. a lot of guts to say no, yep. because yeah, it's definitely. it's very human to fear, you know, missing out. What if we say no to this yeah. thing that would have made us, you know, billions and billions of dollars? But if you don't say no to some of the things, you'll just never finish anything and you won't have good quality products. So it, I always say that if it's too scary to say no, then just say not now. This is not a priority right now. We can make it a priority later. But it's just being strategic and thoughtful about it. And priorities change too, because as you're going through the development process and you create this backlog of gigantic list of themes or epics or stories, and then you get to the end of the release and you look back, you do your retrospective and you say, Wow, you know, there there was a lot of things on the cutting room floor that we couldn't get done and still a lot of things in QA that may not get done. And so it kind of sets up what your backlog is for the next release. And then having that really honest conversation about based on the velocities or based on how fast you can get things done, can we actually get these things done in the next release? Or is there a more realistic way of scheduling this stuff out? You know, it's... What do they say, Nadia? It's a triangle of, of resource, time, and, and effort? And, yeah, and, and, yeah, scope. And scope, right. So, you know, you can't, you can't, you, you can make a bigger triangle, but that just means more money, right? Exactly. Or it means having different expectations. So how do we solve those problems? How do we, how do we move that needle on that? Is it partnership? Is it negotiation? You said that you have to have really good skills to be able to navigate that. What does it take to be a good product leader to be able to make that actually stick? Absolutely. I think it takes guts to be, to begin with, right. <laughs> to hold your line. I mean, it, it's a very fine balance because you do need to work with people you want to collaborate, but at the same time, it requires a lot of discipline. And sometimes you just have to be firm that this is what we're focusing on right now and this is what we need to deliver. And yes, prioritization changes, absolutely. So you have an opportunity to review that at, you know, periodically. So if you have sprints, you can review that at the end of each sprint, or if you have releases, as you were saying, David, the best thing is to deliver that release and get some feedback from real life usage. Is it actually something that's being used? How are our customers reacting? How is this thing out in the wild world? What do we need to tweak? And that feedback oftentimes changes our vision quite a bit because it's in complex technology, it's very hard to sit down, think, and predict how things are going to go. You really need this experimentation and live feedback in the field. And that brings us to our next topic, our next question, which is, we have an awesome vision, things are prioritized, we've gotten it all put together, we're all happy with it, 
what happens to make things fall apart? Yeah, it's definitely not enough to just have a vision, to figure out prioritization. This is not a guarantee that things will just work out swimmingly. You really need to make sure everybody is on the same page. Communication in this day and age when there's so many people working on these large projects, it's it's critical. And getting everybody on board and getting buy-in. Because honestly... Nobody will even hear you until you get tired of repeating the same thing over and over and over again. You can never over-communicate. And also people have very different communication styles. So sure. if, if, you, if a product manager really wants their stakeholders or their development teams to hear their message, they need to use every possible communication channel because somebody hears you in a meeting, somebody right. else needs to read it, somebody else needs to see a visual. Uh, you just have to be very diligent about communicating uh, out your vision. And also very important to actually get buy-in. So some so the best way to get buy-in is to involve people in creating your vision, in creating your prioritization. One of my favorite ways to get buy-in for a vision, even if it's like a feature or not something necessarily grandiose, is to let people to feel the pain of the problem you're trying to solve. Right. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. In HR tech, that's actually not that hard because we're <laughs> all employees. Right. <laughs> we're all been job candidates or yeah. managers. Yeah. And so letting people feel the pain is very helpful. <laughs> yeah. And because then they can actually not only live it, then they go, wow. Um, this is emotional to me now. I'm vested in it. I know what it causes. So how do I get around not having this feeling again? So it's kind of like, you don't like that feedback loop, or it's actually a really good feedback feedback loop, whether it's negative feedback or positive feedback. People like to be able to understand what it means to walk in the shoes of those users to be able to get that, that experience. So I, I totally agree with you. One thing I wanted to ask you is, you know, one of the good things about being a product owner is that you have the ability, especially during standups or within Slack or within the IDE that someone's using, I think it's still called an IDE, to be really communicative. It's the development environment that they're they're actually developing the, the code in mm-hmm. and actually be able to communicate in line with you know what they're doing, whether it's giving immediate feedback or when there's reviews to be able to, to give, give feedback. But you, you mentioned that being able to over-communicate. So within the world of Agile, we're always supposed to be communicating, right? We're, we're supposed to be co-located. Yeah. If we're dealing with people who are development resources around the world, we're always on Slack or always on Teams mm-hmm. or whatever the communication methodology is. And that kind of leads into that work-life balance issue, doesn't it, for product owners? It does. It does. And not even product owners, but developers too, because sure. you actually need that time to focus and get your job done. And you need that undisturbed time. And especially a lot of times developers are introverts and they need that focus. They need to be in the flow, undisturbed. So yeah, it's a very, very good point. We need to be very mindful of that balance. And I know in some companies that I worked at, there were specific days of the week of specific times of the day where you couldn't schedule meetings and you had to let people focus and work. Right. So, yeah, it's a good point. I remember the days when we all used to sit in the same cubicle area. And you know, when someone had a problem, they just said, hey, David, can you come over here and take a look at this? And, you know, yeah. it, it 
pretty much you had to wear headphones <laughs> to be able to get exactly. in. Exactly. Yeah. It was both it's good a, and It's bad. good in concept. Yeah, it's a great concept, yeah. but doesn't always doesn't always work for everybody. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's hard to break out of that flow and then go back into it. <laughs> you yep. lose some momentum. Well, based on that, let's talk a little bit. I know this wasn't part of the formal questions, but I wanted to ask you about how does remote work change this? How does remote work change how people work together? How can Scrum still happen with stand-ups being completely remote? Is it very much the same? It's just via video? Or how do you think the impact of remote work has changed product management and their relationship with product development? It's uh, changed in multitude of ways, certainly. And some ways are much better, I think, for, for managing our work-life balance, essentially. Sure. Because it's in a way, it's easier to walk away from it. But you have to have your own internal discipline to be able to shut down your computer and re- really walk away from it. Really shut down your computer. Yeah. yeah really, on. all the yeah. way. And I think because a lot of teams were already hybrid, at least in, in large companies that I worked at, it leveled out the field that now everybody is on video, everybody is remote. So participation level actually even doubt. And I, I use personally a lot of facilitation tools like virtual whiteboards for right. many meetings. And that allows introverted, quiet people to participate much better. So we actually get more ideas from them because for a lot of people, it's very uncomfortable to speak up in a room full of other people and you, you lose out. But this virtuality, this collaboration online allows those voices to be heard. But at the same time, what I personally miss is the holy conversations, the stuff that you miss just overhearing. I personally go into the office three days a week. And that's actually tremendously helpful to my own work to overhear what others are working on and what they're talking about. And I feel so much more plugged in into what's happening. I, th- I was thinking about this last night. I I really miss the whiteboards. You know, you, the the virtual whiteboards are are great, but I literally miss the physicality of writing something down and erasing things on the on the whiteboards. And that's true. Um, well, if you want, I can buy you one, and you can put it behind you, <laughs> and you can put it on. Rollers. I know, but it's. But it's so great when you've got two or three people up, each sure. one with a magic marker, you know. <laughs> Fighting for markers, right? <laughs> right, exactly. I want the blue one. Give me the blue one. <laughs> and, and I think that's where a lot of magic did happen. And I think at some point, we're going to get back to that. And I think we're going to come to an equilibrium where there will be a more hybrid model for work. But what that means, Dwight, is then you're moving to the Boston area. So that yeah. you and I can yeah. be in the same room and actually do the whiteboarding. <laughs> but but I, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. I think we're going to get no. to a much more distributed model mm-hmm. where we can find the expertise wherever we need it and be able to keep people, and, and Nadia, I, I loved what you were talking about, keep people giving them the opportunity and the choices of of having that balance between work and life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We do need to give those opportunities. 
But it's also about your own discipline to have sure. that balance. <laughs> but but right. remember, it always was. I mean, and we did That's a true. really crappy job of it. I remember being in the office really all hours of the day. And I know you did too, because mm. there were things we were under the gun for. We had to be there where there were big decisions to be made. And we worked all the time. And when we didn't work at the office, we worked at home, right? So just yeah, being right, at the office yeah. and, and still in an in-person model didn't mean that you ended the day when you turned on your car and went home. So we forget those <laughs> we forget those things, but but it's still there. And now to your point, now we have the ability of switching the computer off and switching hopefully our mind off too and being able to take on the more important things in our lives which are our, our children and other things, right? Yeah, exactly. One of my bosses used to say, actually, somebody at ADP, in 10 years from now, will you even remember the names of the people in this meeting? Is it really worth missing your kid's soccer game for? Exactly. <laughs> well, the kid will definitely not forget you not being at the soccer game. But, <laughs> but the people at the meeting, they won't remember you weren't there tomorrow, probably. True. <laughs> <laughs> So Nadia, we talked about the problems that organizations deal with when trying to build technology and trying to focus on what the real problem is. And then we talked about what's the real prioritization and how do we actually get to overcoming way too much on the plate versus what does the the real goal of the project need? And then the third thing we talked about is now that we have everything from a vision and a prioritization perspective, making sure that we get people on board and communicating and over communicating and dealing with them as they as they like to be dealt with and communicated with. What else do you want to bring up before we close? Well, I think another important aspect is getting feedback from real customers right. sooner right. rather than later. That's right. a major component of being successful with complex technology. Absolutely. Sorry, you did mention that and I did not bring that up in the summary. So you are correct. Right. I'm sorry. Nadia Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me here. Our pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Dwight, thank you. Thank you. And thank you, Nadia, for joining us. It's been good. And I would add, very insightful. Thank you so much for joining. And thank you for listening. And if you don't mind, please send this on to your friends and colleagues. Thank you very much. Take care and stay safe. That was the HR Data Labs podcast. If you liked the episode, please subscribe. And if you know anyone that might like to hear it, please send it their way. Thank you for joining us this week and stay tuned for our next episode. Stay safe.